today, you know, we take a look at the man behind the woman who risked everything to save her people. This man is a man of conviction, unwavering faith, and compassion, not only for Esther, but also for his people. He won't give an inch as he refuses to bow and worship uh, to Haman, the king's right-hand man, and it almost gets him executed. Who is this man? His name is Mordecai. Some say he is the cousin of, of Esther, and others say he was her uncle. Either way, he was the one who took her in and raised her when her parents died, when she became an orphan. He is also the one who held her feet to the fire in order to get her to use her position to help save the Jewish people you know, from genocide. You know, she tried to get out of it, but Mordecai would not let her. He was a man of conviction, and he stood up for his people and his God. Mordecai comes from the tribe of Benjamin and was related to, actually, to King Saul, um, the first king of Israel. The Hebrew interpretation of his name means bitter oppression or crushing, which is probably, probably speaks to the times and conditions they lived under as they were ruled by so many different um, nations. But at this time, it was... They were under the Persian king, um, which we know uh, as Xerxes. So, not to get off subject, but something else that I found interesting about his family connections is that the Apostle Paul was a Benjamite. He was from a descendant from the tribe of, of Benjamin as well. And we know the Apostle Paul was a man of conviction. And it must have been like a family trait, but who knows? Just something I thought was interesting. Now, Mordecai raised and cared for Hadassah, which is Esther's uh, Jewish name or Hebrew name. But he raised and cared for her. She was, you know, when until she was taken to the palace to see if she would become the next queen, to see if she would be chosen. So her name was changed from her Jewish name Hadassah to uh, to the Persian name Esther. Likely to help conceal her identity, Mordecai instructed her explicitly not to reveal her identity or let anyone know she was a Jew. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough the three-letter root in Esther's name, which is the S-T-R, in Hebrew means to conceal or hide. Just another fun fact. But Esther becomes queen, and you know she is chosen, and God just really guides her into this position. And she becomes a queen. And Mordecai will realize just how important that is and how God positions people in just the right places at just the right time. One day, a man named Haman becomes the king's right-hand man, second in charge, and he expects people to bow down to him in a worship-like manner. Esther 3.2 says, And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. So let's clear something up. We're not talking about a, about a simple bow of respect, you know, bending of the waist. The reference here is more like worship, to kneel or lay prostrate before Haman. To the Jews, this would have been equated to a sign of worship. And Mordecai wasn't down with that. He served God and God alone, and he refused to worship anyone besides the one true God. This was a, a hill he was willing to die on. So he stood his ground, 
come what may. His answer when questioned about why he did not pay homage to Haman was simple. He said, because I'm a Jew. Simply put, as a Jew, he was commanded to worship only one, and that was Yahweh. So that, and that's what he did. He held to his convictions regardless of the cost. Esther 3, five says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. You know, but his fury and anger didn't stop with Mordecai because because Mordecai's reason was that he was a Jew and that's why he wouldn't bow down to him because he wasn't going to worship or respond in a way that was symbolic of worship you know, to anyone other than God. And so because he was a Jew, Haman sets his anger against all Jews and puts a plan in motion to wipe out all Jews from Persia. Haman cleverly deceives the king into approving the execution of a group of people that he says have different laws and, you know, they're scattered among the provinces and, and they have different laws and they do not follow the laws of the king. So he doesn't tell the king that he wants to wipe out all the Jews from Persia, nor is the king aware of what he is really, what is really going on with Haman and his hate for Mordecai. Needless to say, Mordecai hears of the plan and he tears his clothes as a sign of grief and sorrow and he puts on sackcloth and ash to symbolize mourning and and the pain that, that he's feeling, you know, you know, for what's coming. And he goes to the king's gate where he cries out loudly and bitterly. This happens all over the kingdom in every province uh, where the decree went out, you know, and Jews begin to fast and weep, lamenting over the new decree that will virtually wipe them out. And this is where Mordecai has a conversation with Esther and holds her feet to the fire to do something and stand up for her people. This is where he gives her the famous speech, the famous line about, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He reminded her that God put her there and maybe, just maybe, it was for such a time as this. God has a tendency to put the right people in just the right place at just the right time. But I like the faith Mordecai displays when he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. He is showing 100% faith that God will deliver his people regardless of what she does. But she has an opportunity to speak up and stand up for something bigger and let God use her to save his people. Mordecai helps set a plan in motion to counter the plan of Haman. Haman thinks everything is going according to plan. He is bragging how he, you know, how he was promoted to uh, the second in command and how even Queen you know, Esther invited only him to the dinner with the king, etc. He didn't realize she was setting him up. But he is just living it up like he is on top of the world. But he has one problem, and that problem's name is Mordecai. Esther 5.9 says, And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. That's because he had just completed the first dinner um, with, with the queen and with the king. And he just thought everything was going great. And anyway, it says, But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. I think you can tell, you know, he doesn't like Mordecai very much. He is like an 
Mordecai's like an open wound to Haman, a thorn in his side. He literally says that, you know, all of his success is worthless as long as Mordecai lives. I mean, this guy seriously knows how to hold a grudge or be vindictive. You know, what a spoiled little brat. His, his pride gets hurt and he wants to commit genocide and can't enjoy his successes because one man won't bow down to him. So Haman's wife and friends tell him to build some gallows and have the king hang Mordecai from them. Then go and enjoy your dinner with the king and Esther. And Haman, uh, liked, he liked the idea, but God intervenes so beautifully. Before Haman can get to the king to make his request to hang Mordecai, the king is reminded of what Mordecai did to save the king previously. You see, Mordecai overheard a plan to assassinate the king, you know, and it was because these two eunuchs uh, who were in charge of the king's guard, if I'm not mistaken, they had this plan to us to lay hands on to, to assassinate the king. And Mordecai tells Esther, he overhears this plan and he tells Esther, and Esther relays the information to the king. And the king, you know, when it when investigation was conducted, they it was found to be true. And of course, the king had the two eunuchs, you know, executed, and the plan was thwarted, and the king was saved. So when the king was reminded of this, he asked, "What was done for this man? What honor was given him?" And the king was informed, "Nothing. Nothing was done for him." Well. King Xerxes wanted to rectify, you know, he wanted to rectify that when, when about the, that time Haman shows up. And before Haman can say anything, the king asks him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And look at how God sets the stage, causing Haman's arrogance and pride to backfire against him and bless Mordecai instead. And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He thinks the king is talking about him. So Haman lays it on thick, telling the king all the things he would he should do for the man that he wants to honor, thinking it's going to be him. And let him be dressed in the king's robes and put on the king's horse and escorted around the city, proclaiming, you know, that this is the man the king wants to honor and, and proclaiming his greatness, so to speak. You know, the king says... Great. Sounds good. Let it be done for Mordecai. Haman's pride had to sink right into his stomach like an overinflated balloon that just got popped. Haman is like, say what? He, I mean, he's in shock. He's got to be in shock. And now look at, ver, at verse 11. So Haman took the robes and the horse um, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Y'all, I can't help but laugh at this. Seriously. Haman went to the king with the intent of having Mordecai hung from the gallows he built. And instead, he ends up having to be the one to dress Mordecai in the king's robes and escort him around the city on, on the king's horse, proclaiming the name of Mordecai. I mean, just, wow. I mean, how funny is that? Look at what Haman's wife tells him after this. You know, after he did this, after he, he paraded Mordecai around, he went home just broken. And all of his pride just deflated. 
And he goes home and look at what his wife tells him in Esther 6, 13. If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And God apparently uses her to foreshadow Haman's judgment that is coming. Because once the plan is uncovered and the king realizes what Haman has been up to, it isn't Mordecai that hangs. It is Haman that hangs from the very gallows he had built for Mordecai. Psalm 57.6 says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Mordecai is a great example of how God works all things out for the good of those who love him and how God is always at work watching over us. You don't have to stress over those who are out to get you. Just put him first and stand on your convictions. Honor God and he will turn the enemy's trap into your blessing. God will turn the enemy's trap back on them. This should serve as a warning to those who would set traps for God's people. And it should remind us that when we stay focused on him, he will not let the enemy prevail against you. In fact, he may very well use the enemy's plan as a means to set you up for a greater blessing. Esther 8.15 says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city city of, of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Esther uh, 10.3 says, For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to the king, to King Ahasuerus, um, or we, a lot of us know him as, as Xerxes. So uh, he, he became second in command, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. You know what? Here's something cool. In the 1930s, archaeologists uncovered thousands of clay tablets containing official records of the Persian Empire. These tablets mentioned a high-ranking state official by the name of Marduka, uh, or Marduka, however you might want to pronounce that correctly, or Marduku, um, which is the Babylonian uh, translation of Mordecai. So how cool is that? Anyways, Esther is often the one who gets all the credit for saving the Jewish people, but Mordecai was the driving force behind what Esther did, and Mordecai serves as a great example of how God blesses those who put him first and how God will take the last and make them first. Mordecai didn't seek greatness or promotion. He sought after God, and God, and he stood on his convictions, and God elevated him over his enemies. Put him first and stand firm in what you believe and let God do the rest. Wow, God, what a testament of your faith and trust in you. God, let us be a people with faith and conviction like Mordecai. Let us not give the devil an inch of ground. Help us to not get afraid or distracted by those who would set traps for us. Help us to just stay focused on you, putting you first in all that we do and trusting you to deliver us from the evil one. If you are dealing with people who just want to bring you down, hurt you, or set traps for you, people that would love nothing more than to see you fail, give it to God. He knows their plans. He sees what they're up to, and they will not prevail against you. And 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 don't be surprised when the very thing they wish on you is done to them. 
God is your shield and he fights for you and me. The enemy thinks he is great, but our God is greater. You may be in a position where your convictions are being tested and that, and that line you drew is being pushed back. But be like Mordecai and stand for God's ways. Stand for the name of Jesus and let God take care of the rest. He will protect and elevate those who put him first and those who put their hope and faith in Jesus. God, we praise you in every situation and for you are worthy to be praised. Amen.